give this amazing youth choir a big hand clap for leading us in worship. I'm thankful that the enemy's defeated, amen? I'm thankful that we have the victory, that we have the hope, that we have the fire. And I believe that God is going to continue to do the miraculous, not only in this place, but in our lives moving forward. Amen. If you could turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, we're going to look at chapter 4, but we're going to cover the first four verses of that chapter. And I pray and hope and believe that everyone had a happy Thanksgiving. There's so much to be thankful for. I know for my family, for the sanctuary family, our God is just so good. And we are truly, truly blessed. I love the Thanksgiving season because it's such a healthy reminder of just how good God is. It's so easy for us to get distracted by day-to-day -day, uh, routines and different things that happen. Uh, I know for me, it's very easy to focus on the negativity of life. And I'm thankful for the Thanksgiving season because it helps me to step back and just, wow. Then I feel really bad because God's just been so good and so great. I'm thankful to be a part of his kingdom. Starting at verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Of course, after that's the revival that took place in Nineveh. Jonah was very upset at that. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Imagine complaining about that. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? The title of my message this morning is Hiding in the Pews from Nineveh. Hiding in the Pews from Nineveh. Nineveh. Amen. Can we stretch forth our hands right now and just call upon the name of the Lord together? King Jesus, you're a healing God, a righteous God, a holy God. Lord, each and every one of us, we are so blessed for the opportunity to step into your house and to feel your presence and to feel your hope. You are here in this place. And God, I plead the blood of Jesus Christ upon every person in this place. And I pray, God, that you'd meet every need in this house, spoken and unspoken. I pray that you'd help us, that you challenge us this morning, encourage us, change us, draw us closer to you, for we give you all the praise and all the glory. Let every word that come out of my mouth for the next few moments be directly from you and only you. Not my will, O oh Lord, but your will. Let us have revival in this house. In Jesus' precious holy name we pray. And everyone said amen. 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 You may be seated. So I think it is safe now to say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Pastor. Merry Christmas, Sister Graham. Merry Christmas, Brother Throgmartin. Merry Christmas, Brother Fergie. Is that okay? Now, I have been accused at home there's a man by the name of Joe Spann. I don't believe he's here today. I think he's actually working at a Christmas tree lot as we speak. The irony. Anyways, he would give my family and I an extremely hard time because after October 31st, sometimes at midnight, November 1, November 1st, 
we turn our entire house around and we decorate it. And Brother Matt, we have the multiple Christmas trees, praise God. And we're starting to work on the little houses and the little displays on the piano and the multiple wreaths and the glitter everywhere. It's okay to have glitter over Christmas and not at the church. Amen. Amen. Because glitter does not come out from a vacuum or anything. You need anointing oil and Brother Scott in order to get rid of the glitter when this place goes crazy. Um, but that's when we kick it off. We celebrate that. And the reason being is because in my culture, where I am from, we celebrate Thanksgiving in, uh, at the beginning of October. And Brother and Sister Fulbert said amen. Brother Johnson said amen. And so afterwards, it's, there's no reason. So we, we, we do the whole Thanksgiving and the harvest the entire month of October. In fact, we get ready. We hit up the greatest pumpkin patch in the world, Sullivan Pumpkin Patch, get all of our stuff. And then we decorate the house with everything. And then we just throw everything in the, crash, in the trash, crash it, and it's the Christmas season. And, and what I love, too, about Christmas, and of course, don't get me wrong, the reason for the season is Jesus Christ, and there's no question the nativity and the hope that baby Jesus has brought, and that's what Christmas is all about. But at the same time, I think we can have fun and enjoy Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Amen? We can enjoy Frosty the Snowman. And if I offend anyone by bringing up Rudolph or Frosty, don't worry. Pastor will come back, clean up the mess, and we will be okay. <laughs> but one of my favorite stories of all has to be none other than... You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. A little louder. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. All right, I think they got it. Thank you. Give our production team a hand clap. You guys do such good work. Never talk bad about the production team because they can destroy you. <laughs> we all love the Grinch. Now, according to the classic story, How the Grinch Stole Christmas by Dr. Seuss, the Grinch was a mean, nasty, and spiteful person who lived to the north of Whoville, a small town where people had hearts as sweet as sugar pops. And the residents of Whoville were, were, were good as gold citizens who, who did not have one evil thought in their collective minds. Naturally, this irked the grumpy old hairy green Grinch who sought ways to destroy the happiness of the people of Whoville. And so the Grinch decided to break and enter and rob everyone down in Whoville. Why? Because he simply hated Christmas. It's kind of a sad story. But when we get into the anthology and the mythology of the creature, it all boils down to this. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. My question is, what on earth caused the Grinch to have a heart two sizes too small? How is he alive from that? 
doesn't work that way. But I don't believe Dr. Seuss was talking about the actual heart that pumps five liters of blood throughout our body per minute. Yes, the cartoon does show his heart physically, literally, shrinking two sizes too small, but I believe that was only for comic relief. The heart that Dr. Seuss was portraying was the locus of the Grinch's physical and spiritual being, also known as the central wisdom of feeling. The heart that pumps leaders of love, empathy, compassion, and understanding throughout the body. Now obviously the Grinch lacked these virtues for his moral compass was full of anger, leaving no room for empathy and happiness. Now what could possibly cause someone to have a heart two sizes smaller than it should be? Now some later adaptions of the Grinch's story laid some groundwork explaining why the Grinch hated the world of Whoville and why he disliked Christmas so much. In one adaptation, the Grinch was bullied by other children in school for being too green and being too furry. Well, that'll do it. Another version revealed that the Grinch spent all of his childhood Christmases alone and unwanted in an orphanage. Well, that makes sense. And so these experiences impacted the Grinch's journey. He experienced something that impacted and eventually interrupted the growth and development of his tiny, tiny heart. And of course, what did the Grinch do? He masked that anger like we all do, or he masked his hurt with anger. Grumpy, grouchy, mean, and bitter individuals who are nasty and complain all the time, they wear what's called the anger mask. Like that old saying, hurt people, well, hurt people. And what we often don't realize is that anger is a secondary emotion. And so typically, one of the primary emotions, such as fear or sadness, can be found underneath the anger. Fear includes things like anxiety and worry and sadness. It comes from the experience of loss, disappointment, or discouragement. Feeling fear and sadness is quite uncomfortable for all of us, mainly because it makes us feel vulnerable and oftentimes not in control. So because of this, we tend to avoid these feelings in any way we can, and one way to do this is by subconsciously shifting into jerk mode. In contrast to fear and sadness, anger can provide a surge of energy and make you feel more in charge rather than feeling vulnerable or helpless. So essentially, anger, wrath, can be a means of creating a sense of control and power in the face of vulnerability and uncertainty. And at the ripe old age of 37, I've come to realize that angry people, hurtful people, especially those that want to talk about you all the time, I know no one does that here, but individuals outside the walls, they always want to pick fights with people. They have nothing good to say. They're always complaining. They're going through things. So when I hear of maybe some of that negative energy comes towards my way, in the past I felt so confrontational. I felt like, oh, I needed to defend myself. But now at the ripe old age of 37, pastor, it's not worth it. Because hurt people, they hurt people. So that's why we love for them. 
That's why we pray for them. That's why we Proverbs 31 them, amen? And then it really dismantles a lot of the conflict, a lot of the hurt and a lot of the pain because the truth is we are all hurting and most of us don't know how to respond and deal with that hurt. So we're not very nice. So if someone is not being very nice to you, subplot, pray for them, love them, care for them because they're going through something that you probably have no idea what it's about. And we're all a part of the body of Christ. Amen? So in our text this morning, we find one of God's prophets, oh, incredibly angry. Boy, oh boy. In fact, Jonah, he was nicknamed the angry prophet. The prophet Jonah was best known for being a man that a fish couldn't stomach. The book of Jonah begins with Jonah receiving a word from God to go and prophesy to the people of Nineveh. We all know the Sunday school story. God wanted Jonah to tell them he would destroy their city if they did not show repentance for their sins, hoping to escape his prophetic calling. Jonah fled by sea on a ship, and to punish him for his disobedience, well, God created a giant storm. Then after the storm hit, Jonah was thrown overboard by the sailors on the ship, and, and God sent a huge fish, presumably, many scientists in the house, probably a whale, to swallow him. And he was inside the fish's stomach for three days and three nights, which I'm sure was extremely unpleasant. So Jonah prayed to God for forgiveness as he sat in repentance in the fish's stomach. And of course, God forgave his sins and the fish threw up Jonah on the beach. And after God saved Jonah from the fish, he decides to obey God and goes to warn Nineveh of the coming destruction. So Jonah calls on Nineveh to repent, and they turn away from their sins. A beautiful story, case closed. But of course, Jonah was kind of angry about that. He was hoping that Nineveh wouldn't repent. He was, he, he, he was hoping that none of this would happen. And he was very angry after God spared Nineveh because he hated them. And God would erase their sins if they showed repentance. But Jonah didn't believe they deserved to even get a chance to show it. <coughs> so Jonah's gotten a lot of flack for that. None of us, none of the Bible scholars really care a whole lot for Jonah. In fact, the, the, uh, the book of Jonah, it's, it's quite funny. The entire story. I think the entire book's only something like 48 verses, four chapters, something like that. And I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty funny at the fact literally about how he responds. He's, just, he's so angry, he's, he's so upset, and he, he preaches perhaps the shortest sermon ever and then goes and takes a nap hoping that God would just treat none of it like Sodom and Gomorrah. But that wasn't the case. Jonah's response to God's mission was the opposite of Isaiah who said to the Lord, here I am, send me. Isn't that what we all say? If there's a call of God on my life, God, send me. God, use me. Take my hands, Lord. Take my feet. Touch my heart, Lord. Speak through me. Use me. Let me be your vessel. I'm going to do it, oh God, until God asks you to do something you don't want to do. Well, Jonah didn't say, here I am. Send me. Jonah was told to arise and go, and he did, but in the opposite direction. Jonah's experience with Nineveh, though, is a lot deeper than some people truly realize. See, Nineveh wasn't just 
some city that needed God. It was the flourishing capital of the Assyrian Empire, which at the time was the largest city in the ancient world. This empire was the terror of the ancients. They would conquer nations, enslave their people, and then deport them to distant lands, crushing their entire culture from ever being able to assemble again. The evil of Nineveh was legendary in ancient times, and it was often experienced firsthand by the Jewish people. So the prophet Jonah had a first row seat as he watched in horror as King El Shamanazer rose from his mighty capital of Nineveh and pillaged the northern kingdom of Israel, laid siege on the province of Samaria, and wiped out ten whole tribes of Israel, never to be heard or seen from again in history. And at the root of Jonah's unwillingness to go to the citizens of Nineveh was a great hatred for them. So it's easy for us to say, Jonah! Why are you so angry? Why are you in jerk mode? Why are you arguing with God? But Jonah experienced something in his walk. Experienced something so frightening, so devastating, that he could not and would not accomplish the task of Nineveh. And so I wonder how many Jonas do we have in the church today? How many Jonas refuse to give up their past resentments caused by hurt and caused by pain? Jonas who refused to let go of a justified anger and bitterness concerning a certain experience. I wonder if there's any Jonas who are guilty with the charge of running and hiding from God. Now I'm not saying these individuals run from their faith or run away from the church, or turn their back on God and is no longer part of the church. No, I'm talking about the Jonas that sit right here. Jonah 1.9 says, Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. When Jonah was on that ship, he didn't deny who he was. He was Hebrew. He served the only God, the God of Israel. He didn't run away from his identity. And unfortunately, and oftentimes, many don't run and hide outside the church. They hide right here in the pews. Why I say unfortunately, because at least when people run outside, we can at least go look for them. We can call them. We can text them. We can reach out to them. We can gag them, bag them, put them in our trunk, take us to church. <laughs> Brother Lloyd's 2022 outreach. But no, we, riot, we hide right here. And so we don't hide because, and that's one thing, is everybody said, what makes me mad is everybody says, well, Jonah, Jonah was a coward. Jonah was just so scared. Jonah just didn't know what he was doing. But the truth is, is that Jonah, he was dealing with some things that were pretty significant. He was dealing with some life hurts that were horrible, that were crushing. And what a lot of us do is we sit the high behind these pews. And you know what? We worship God. We call on the Lord. We come to the aisle. We sing in the choir. We do a lot of great things. But there's a lot of events that happened in our lives that cause certain situations to where we stop here. 
And so when God calls on us, we stop here. When God reaches out to us, we stop here. Sometimes pastor will will prick our hearts and we'll get out of our seats and we'll walk towards, but then we start having these memories of events that we witnessed, things that we've seen, things that hurt us and our family. We say, not a chance. I'm not ready. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the hope. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I have too much fear. I have too much anxiety. You know what? I'm, I'm too old. You know what? I'm too young. Well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm single. I, I need to get married and have a family. I need to get, I'm already married. I have a family. I'm divorced. I'm confused. I committed adultery. My bank account's not the same. I don't have a whole lot of money. I have too much money. I just, I, I'm not paying tithes as much as I could. <laughs> I paid too much tithes. I don't have to do anything. I'm just, and then we look at it. And we blame our, our, our career. We blame our age. And we blame the searching. And, and we, we, we're, we're doubtful. And we feel as though we're insignificant. Or we're, we're broken. We're depressed. We're hurt. We're too angry. We're just not ready. But all along, God is calling us to have perhaps the greatest apostolic revival we could ever possibly imagine. God wants to harvest and prepare for one of the greatest prodigal son and daughter revivals that we've ever seen, one of the greatest backslidden revivals we've ever seen. Think of the city of Nineveh. That entire city repented. Hundreds of thousands of people fell to their knees and declared the God of Israel. The Apostle Paul didn't do that. Did the Apostle Paul turn over entire cities? How about Peter and James? They were great. Did they turn over entire cities? Did Jesus' ministry turn over entire cities? No, but God grabbed a hold of Jonah and Jonah had the ability and he ran away from that. I truly believe that God is calling us. God is calling us to a higher place. God is perhaps calling us to a deeper level of ministry. But there are some experiences that we have faced where we think we are not qualified, where we think that we're not good enough, or we think that, well, I just don't have enough time, or I'm not ready, or I have a disability, or my socioeconomic status isn't that great, or the color of my skin isn't quite right. This and that, and we go back and forth, all of these ifs and buts. But the old saying, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. And the truth is, God's not calling us to be perfect. And some of us actually deal with perfectionism so much that we don't want to go to Nineveh. But what does the scripture say? God had revival with Nineveh no matter what. God sent Jonah. If Jonah wasn't going to go, he was going to send someone else to have the greatest revival in all of the world. And so I think to myself, how many times 
And I thought, and sometimes I think back at certain situations in my life and, and with family, if I just could have done this and that, I wonder, what if I, would I have my Nineveh and the Marian home? What if I had, what if I had, would I have had my Nineveh at Nepean High School? But some of us think that we can't turn our school upside down. Okay, here's what the Bible said. Okay, he went, okay, Jonah goes to Nineveh. Think of all of North County and St. Charles County falling on their knees to repentance and falling on their knees to salvation. Well, we think that's a massive dream. That, that's fictitious. It doesn't make any sense, but the scripture says it. That entire city was turned over. There's a beautiful saying, and if our musicians could come, I'm coming to a close that I read that says, we cannot find God without God, we cannot reach God without God, we cannot satisfy God without God. Here's what we need to remember. All the hurts, all the pains, all the things that we're hiding, God has got this. God is with us. God is in the furnace. God is at the workplace. God is at school. God is at our home. God is in the hospital room. God is in the failed marriage room. He can repair family rooms and living rooms. He can repair households. He can repair callings. And I'm speaking perhaps to a Jonah that has been running far too long. Amen. So when people think of the man Jonah, they often they seem to focus on the negative traits, such as his lapses into disobedience and his, his hard-headedness and all that. But here's the deal. We all suffer from that. We all suffer from experiences that push us back. But when we see what Jonah had to endure, what we see what, what Jonah had to go through, we're all hurting. We're all going through things. But too many of us, too many of us are hiding. And God is calling us to do more. God is calling us to achieve more. God is calling us to reach out more. King Jesus, Lord, I pray. I pray for every elder, for every grandma and grandpa. Lord, I pray for every marriage couple, those with empty nests, those with teenagers, those just starting out their families. I pray for single parents. I pray for our young adults, both married and single. God, I pray for our teenagers. I pray for our children. I pray for our divorcees and the divorced. I pray for our widows and widowers. I pray for those who are struggling financially this year. I pray for those that still have a pack of cigarettes in their car. I pray for those that might be confused about the doctrine. I pray for those that are struggling, that are hiding. Lord, I pray that you would gently, firmly, with conviction remind us that your name is in the call of God. There's no call without you. 
Remind us, Lord, that you walk with us. That you take care of us. That you're with us. That we don't have to live in fear or be intimidated or constantly look in the rearview mirror of our pasts. Remind us that we can let go of the voices in our head that remind us of past failures and addictions. Lord God, remind us that your blood is real. That there is a hope that we don't have to hide anymore. But that we can stand and that we can move forward. And yes, Nineveh can be hurtful. It could be intimidating. It could cause all types of angst. Perhaps Nineveh is making an unpleasant phone call. Perhaps Nineveh is going back in the past, having to talk to somebody about a certain situation. But Lord, remind us, God, that with the hurt and pain and the destruction and the intimidation of Nineveh, that you are there and that you are the harvest and that revival is with us. And I pray for all those Perhaps those have been sitting in these seats for far too long with a call of God in their life to do something, whether it be with their family or their community. Maybe it's pastoring a church. Maybe it's starting a church. Maybe it's starting a home Bible study. Maybe it's starting a Project 7 club. Maybe it's finding a place in the church to become and to belong. If we can all stand. When I look across this place, I love that, yes, I see hurting people that went through all types of situations and circumstances, a lot of things that I'm familiar with, a lot of things that I have absolutely no idea about. But I do know that there's a room full of people that have a testimony about how God healed your body about how God delivered you for some pretty harmful addictions. How God repaired your marriage. How God saved you from that marriage and that abuse. How you're able to overcome horrible doctor reports, prodigal sons coming home. The beauty of it is, is we have so many Ninevehs in this place We have so many individuals that have responded to God's call and you've seen the beauty of what God has done, but here's the deal, it's okay. Because Jonah was a prophet long before he saw what took place in Nineveh. Jonah was a part of the prophetic call and God used him mightily. But somewhere along the way, his hurt and his pain didn't allow him to feel worthy enough. But stand with the scripture knowing in Luke 839, but Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what the great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city the great things that Jesus has done for him. I want to encourage someone, stand out of your pew and begin to declare. And I believe that God is going to send you into the greatest apostolic revival you've ever seen. Now here's the deal, I don't know what your revival is. It could be your city, it could be your family, it could not even be here, it could be someone else. But some of you know this, and let me remind you that God is with you.
and that God marches with us and that he is with us. Now here's our musicians are going to sing or our praise singers are going to sing and our musicians will play and I want to encourage anyone that feels the call to come to the front and we're going to pray together and I believe God is going to perform the miraculous in this place not by my might but by God's might. But there's been a lot of beautiful prophecies that have been falling on this church over the last several decades about what God wants to do. And pastor a few weeks ago sat down and revealed his thoughts, the direction he wants to take the church in 2022 and, and the theme, which I'm not privileged to give out, he will do very soon. I know we all get excited about the direction and where we're gonna go. But pastor's vision is very much aligned with a lot of the prophecies and the promises that God I believe is going to fulfill in 2022 with numerical growth in our cities, with our families, just wonderful reports coming out of the workplaces, God really using us in signs, miracles, and wonders. But when I say we're going to have the greatest apostolic revival that this church has ever seen, we're not talking about the building. We're not talking about pastor or the pastoral staff. Every single individual in this place is the church. We forget that. The greatest apostolic revival, the church, that means me, my family, my community, my hope. That means you. That means your family. That is the revival. That is the revival that is promised to us. And I believe in the name of Jesus that will fulfill. And I believe that we can begin to fulfill that long before 2022. But right now, these altars are open. If you have a call of God in your life, I want you to step out of hiding behind that pew. Raise up your hands and let there be a declaration. God, I am here. God, I'm done running. God, I'm done fighting. 